This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And this week, we're coming to you with part five, week five of our study from the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 42, where we're going to encounter something that's called the servant songs. But these aren't actual songs. It's poetic. Isaiah's writing poetry, and there's these uh, pericopes or these little stanzas that come together, and they give you a prophetic view of the servant. They're called the servant songs, but the servant that God has ordained and commissioned to bring about the redemption of the world. Um, and so if you know the, the way that Isaiah has been laid out, the first 39 chapters have been talking about how Israel and Judah have fallen short, how yeah. they have bungled it, God's judgments on them. But there are little nuggets that are planted throughout those 39 chapters that are pointing you toward the hope of redemption, that God is going to send somebody to redeem. And when you get to chapter 40, you get a sharp pivot to hope and comfort and everything is upbeat and so planted in the rest of it, which which walks you through basically mm-hmm. um, redemption. You know, by the time you get to the end of Isaiah, it's talking about heaven and glory, but it's walking you through what is this servant going to have to do mm-hmm. to redeem and rescue God's people. Now, the, Isaiah uses the term servant um, differently. I mean, there's times when, this, when the word appears to be referring to one person or group of people and times when it appears to be a different person or group of people. Um, mm-hmm. When we're looking at these servant songs, who, who is the servant here and how, and how do we know which one this is? So the Christian obviously would say that the servant – is Jesus right? Um, but if you if you were to go into a synagogue and you were to talk to Jews, they would say, "Well, the servant is Israel." Mm-hmm. And the reason why they would say that is there's multiple times. So if you read, particularly in the 40s, Isaiah 42, 44, 41, you'll find these passages where it's referring to my servant Israel, okay. my servant Jacob, um, and so it's and and that is. Sometimes it's talking about the entirety of the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know that in these servant songs, it's not talking about um, a broad group of people. Um, the, the description that's given of the servant sometimes seems to be going to a redeemer. And so um, I'll give you an example. In Hosea chapter 11, there's a famous passage where the Lord says um, – out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay. And it's referring to Israel. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so Hosea is very clearly, when you read that, you're thinking, oh, he called Israel out of Egypt. I remember that. It's called the Exodus. Yeah. But when you get to the nativity, the way that Matthew is talking about this is he says, yeah, God has called his son Israel out of Egypt. If you remember Jesus at his birth – 
has to flee down to Egypt because Herod is killing all of the baby boys. Right. And then he says Herod's dead and he calls the family back out of Egypt. And so the New Testament is telling us that Jesus is fulfilling the same patterns that the nation of Israel did. Um, so let me let me just kind of walk you through this real quick. If you look at the life of Jesus, and this is no accident, you know, the Spirit of God is ordaining it this way. But Jesus is going to come out of Egypt. He is okay. going to be baptized in the waters, right? Chapter 3 of Matthew is going to be baptism. At his birth, by the way, you remember Herod, who's a maniacal tyrant who wants to kill all of the baby boys in Bethlehem. Well, right. what happened with the Israel when they were in Egypt? You have the maniacal tyrant Pharaoh who wants to kill all of the babies, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a supernatural deliverance. They're led out of Egypt. They come back into the land. Moses leads them through the waters. Jesus begins, and he gives birth, right? Israel's birth is when they go through the Red Sea out of Egypt, where Jesus is, launches his ministry, the birth of his ministry, where? When he goes in the waters of the Jordan. Mm -hmm. And then Moses, on this hand, is going to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and facing temptations. But you go to Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is spending 40 days Enduring temptations in the wilderness at the hand of Satan. Mm -hmm. Then you have Moses, on the other hand, who goes up on a mountain to get the law over in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 5, you have Jesus who goes up on a mountain to expound upon the law and the Sermon on the Mount. You have Moses who's commissioned to, to allot the territory for the 12 tribes of Israel. And you have Jesus who goes around and, and calls 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. And so, as you're reading the gospel, what it's showing you is Jesus is fulfilling everything that Israel was supposed to be. Right. He is, he's walking – so Israel is supposed to do all these things as God's chosen people, but they fail again and again and again and again, and they're, they're unrighteous. They betray God as all of humanity does. But then you see Jesus who comes, and it's like wave number two – of Israel. It's like step, you know, the next stage, except this time it's not humanity because humanity can't measure up. Right. God takes on flesh, steps in, and he now represents all of Israel and he fulfills the whole pattern of what Israel was supposed to be, but he does it perfectly. He is the perfect servant who will be the perfectly righteous Israel, mm -hmm. and then he clothes Israel and all the people of God with his righteousness is the idea. So if somebody was saying, hey, Sam, I'm, I'm really into this book of Isaiah thing with you guys, and I'm, I'm reading Isaiah, and I keep coming across this, my servant, how do I know as I read it? What can I look for so that I have an idea which one is being talked about here? So, so you'll note like a my servant, sometimes it's my servant has failed me. <laughs> that yeah. is Israel at large. Right. So that's the nation, right? It's, and he's bringing judgment. But then you'll see that there's, there's times where my servant is fulfilling perfectly everything. And you're like, well, which is it? Yeah. It's, it's clearly talking about two different things. And, uh, and I'll, uh, you know, you go back to the beginning of Isaiah and Matthew, by the way, is picking up on all of this. So, uh, if you go to Isaiah 7.14, which is one of the first pictures that you're given that, oh my goodness, God is going to call a Messiah, some single person who's going to change everything for the nation of Israel and in fact the world, Isaiah 7.14 is that famous verse where it says, the Lord will give a sign, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you'll call his name Emmanuel. 
Well, Matthew picks up in the nativity story, right? And he says, behold, the virgin shall be with child. He says all of this is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel, uh, which means God with us. Now, that cannot possibly be referring to the nation of Israel, right? right. A virgin conceives, bears a son, and you're going to call his name God with us? Like you're identifying him as God. Mm-hmm. And so this is altogether different. You just you fast forward a couple chapters and you get to Isaiah chapter nine. This is a, a famous passage. You see this on the Christmas cards. If you get Christmas cards, this is probably the verse or the passage that's going to be on it. And listen to what it says. He's, God's talking about the Messiah that He's going to deliver. Is He talking about a nation or is He talking about a messianic Savior? He says, "For unto us a child is born." Well, it's a, it's a child. It's a person. Mm-hmm. Right. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, which is going to be a big theme of the passage we're talking about today. And his name will be called. Now, listen to how confusing <laughs> this would have been. If you were living in the days of Isaiah and you heard him say this, a kid is going to be born, a son's going to be given, and these are all of his names, wonderful, counselor, mm-hmm. mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace, mm-hmm. and of the increase his, of his government and peace, there will be no end. Think about how all of those contradict one another. He's, he's going to be a child, yet he's mighty God. He's going to be the son that's given, yet his name is everlasting father. What is, what, <laughs> he's going to be a prince of peace, and yet the expanse of his government is going to know no end. Like you can't, it seems like everything in this description is, is <laughs> contradictory, right? Right, right. How is mighty God a child? How is the son an everlasting father? It's Trinitarian. But this is definitely not pointing you to the nation of Israel. This is pointing you to one person who's coming. And he is one with the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is mighty God. He is the Son given, the child born. Um, And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So you get all of these passages and it's pointing you to a person, right? It's saying sure. there's going to be a person that comes to save. And in Isaiah 11, it says, you know, he's going to come from the line of David, which is all of this is pointing, it's describing Jesus. And then when you get to Isaiah 42, this is the first of the servant songs that's spelling out, okay, how is this person, this mighty God, everlasting Father, the Son that's given all wrapped into one, how is he going to save his people? Okay, so then we would. So then the short answer is it's done by <laughs> it's done by context. Yeah, it's done by reading around that reference and finding out. You know, if it talks about my servant has failed me, well, that's not Jesus, <laughs> right? Uh, and if it talks about my servant has has done this perfectly, that's not Israel. Um, other things. I mean, I mentioned before we started recording. Um, I think that Isaiah uses the term, you know, my servant to describe even Cyrus, who was he was the Cyrus was the king of Persia who actually uh, conquered Babylon and was the reason why the they were able to go and rebuild Jerusalem. So Cyrus was God's very definitely God's servant, but he was a pagan king. Um, and yet God used him and called him his servant. So mm-hmm. the context of it. I think has to determine 
what yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah, completely. Yeah. You go to the previous chapter, it'll it'll say in verse chapter 41 verse 8 it'll say, "But you Israel are my servant, Jacob whom I've chosen, the descendants plural of Abraham, my friend." You whom I've taken from the ends of the earth. So he's bringing them back from exile. That's clearly not talking about one person. So right. context says, well, that's the nation that's of the Israel. Nation. Yeah. And, and, but then it says, and said to you, you are my servant. So obviously there he's using the my servant to refer to the entire nation. Okay. Well, let's take a look at the first of the servant songs then in Isaiah chapter 42, beginning in verse one. Uh, it reads, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Um, one of the things that uh, I picked up on when I was studying this is that the the phrase here where he says, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, we were looking at Isaiah uh, chapter 40, uh, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, where God is speaking comfort to Jerusalem, it says, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. And that word there for pardon and the word here for delights are different forms of the same Hebrew word. Uh, and when I saw that, I, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of know how you feel because we've talked about this already. It's not a surprise. But I feel like that's making a really strong connection between the comfort to Jerusalem and this servant to this idea that this what's going to delight God is the fact that this servant is going to provide that pardon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, and I love that what we talked about as we were preparing for this is in one, it's talking about pardon. And then the other one is delight. Uh, but the idea behind pardon is it's, it's passive. He is going to transform, you know, all of those sins into delight. He mm-hmm. is, he's in the process of making you delightful, mm-hmm. um, is kind of the idea behind that word pardon. And that's, that's awesome. So, so his son, he actively delights in. His elect one, he actively delights in. And he has m- transformed us through pardon to become delightful is the idea behind that pardon. And I think what's important about that is that um, we say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Um, And God is saying, look, I want you to understand something. The nature of my pardon, the nature of my forgiveness is that it's not just, yeah, I know what you did. No, he's going to transform our Mm -hmm. iniquity through through into delights. It's like he becomes mm-hmm. delighted with us. Yeah. Um, which, which is phenomenal. I mean, you know, it's like. Yeah. Think about what that does to guilt. You know, like I, I remember when I was first coming, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I've, I've cost you so much. The right. pain you had to endure. I feel so bad. And what the Lord is saying is, no, 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 you don't understand. Like through this pardon, I now delight in you. Right. Right. It's like he's he's not going. You were expensive. <laughs> you know, he's he's rejoicing over you with singing. You know, yeah. that's one of the verses that always blows me away. But God delights in those He's pardoned. Yeah. Well, and this uh, uh, Isaiah forty two one, of course, is we see this played out in Matthew when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. It says that the Spirit mm-hmm. descended like a dove. God says, "Here, I've put my Spirit upon him, and then he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles." That 
I think if I was a, if I was a Jew, mm-hmm. if I was Jewish, and I'm and I, I'm reading Isaiah's scroll, you know, mm-hmm. four or five hundred years before Jesus was born. That would pull me up short. <laughs> you know, it's like there's not supposed to be justice for the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the bad guys here, you know. Justice is supposed to be for your people. Um, yeah. And so – but God here is saying, no, the justice is for all people. Yeah, and if and this is like one of those cool things. If you're reading the scroll of Isaiah, you know, you've already gone through chapter 9 and it's in there. You, you mentioned the baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, right out of the gates, God says that in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So he's talking about Galilee. Right. And he says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and he goes on to talk about – um how salvation's coming. It's right before a son is given, that passage. But when he says my – in verse cha- 1 of chapter 42 that we just started, when he says, my elect one in whom my soul delights, when when the Spirit comes down upon Jesus in the baptism, you hear the Father's voice from heaven booming, behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. Most commentaries will tell you he's quoting – Isaiah forty two one. It's yep. it's translated to Greek, but in whom my soul delights, that's what he's saying to the son at the baptism. You know, behold my son in whom I am well pleased, in whom my soul delights. And then Isaiah continues, I've put my spirit upon him. Well, what's happening at the baptism? You have the spirit descending upon the son. That's Trinitarian. We get that, right? Here's yeah. the son who's in the water, the spirit's descending, and God the Father is up above speaking. So you have the three roles of the Trinity right here, and it's talking about the mission is to bring justice to the Gentiles. You talked about you know coming up short here. It depends on how you translate justice, right? Right. You know, if you were if you were living in Isaiah's times and you were thinking, "Oh, these Gentiles, they keep oppressing us and they keep going to war to us." There's there's one kind of justice where you're like, "He's going to smash their teeth in." You know, depending on where you are, you might be like, "Oh, that's great." Uh, but that's not the kind of justice that he's going to ultimately carry out here. Right. We talked about at staff devotions this morning a little bit, this idea of what does justice mean. And we had all kinds of different things people threw out. And I think all of them um, were different forms of justice. There is certainly – there mm-hmm. is a justice in you get – you know, what you reap, you sow. It's like you're going to mm-hmm. – you suffer the consequences of your actions. That is a form of justice. But there's also a justice in which something that's wrong or broken is made right or whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I believe, and I, I think you do too, that that's what – when in this servant song, God is saying that his servant is going to make right or make whole – that's the justice that he's bringing is this redemptive justice. Mm-hmm. I mean the obvious example is think of a child who's born into a situation where suffering is imposed on the child through no control of their own. He hasn't – you know, he or she hasn't done anything to deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, justice would be to take away that oppression that's upon that child that they didn't deserve and to make things right. It's it's helping the poor. It's helping the orphan. You know, things like that, that they didn't do anything to deserve that law. Right. But it's making mm-hmm. things right that were wrong. Yeah. So if, if, if folks, if when you hear that word justice – 
um, just remember that it has different meanings um, and that in this case, it's not God saying, I'm going to come smack them in the mouth like, like maybe the Jewish people were wanting God to do to the Gentiles. But it's that he's going to come and he's going to make right uh, that which is wrong and broken. Um, verse 2 says, uh, tells us a little bit about how the servant will do these things. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Um, that right there, I mean, when you think about Jesus, right? Jesus stood silent before his accusers. Jesus mm-hmm. was known, widely known, as a man of peace, as somebody who was meek in that respect. I mean, he was certainly a powerful individual, but he didn't come in belligerently. It is, to me, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus wasn't the guy who came in shouting and condemning. Um, he was a quiet and gentle spirit. Yeah, you never find him going on the great, you know, moral crusade, shouting over people. Right. Um, he's got this confident, quiet authority um, and gentleness, you know, that you see repeatedly in him. And, and one of the things that, and this is kind of like. The nature of justice that you find throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see this again and again, is that for those who come proud to the Lord, they will be humbled, and those who come humbled to the Lord will be exalted. And you find you find that quoted throughout Scripture quite a bit, and that's right. that's in some sense that's the way that God's justice works. And so, whenever you see Jesus, you know, if he has somebody who comes to him who's utterly broken, who recognizes that they don't belong, that they don't fit in, that they don't measure up. And they know it. You'll see the most compassionate, sweet, tender Jesus. Uh, but when you see, you know, when you see him go up against the religious leaders, who you know basically are saying, "God, you're lucky to have me on your team. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty amazing. I got this figured out, and I'm way better than everyone else is." That's where you see the harsh side of Jesus, which, out of love, is seeking to kind of crush through the hardness of their soul. Um, but you never see him um, insisting, you know, mm-hmm. seizing the throne, demanding, shouting, you know, people down. The most, <laughs> the most intense you'll ever see him is in the in the temple courtyards when he's flipping over tables. Somebody brought that up this morning, but that in and of itself is just his desperation to make sure that people have access to worship, right? Um, and can be near to the Lord. Yeah. What made him angry was that people were keeping, were were creating a, a wall or, or division. It's like they were, they were keeping people away. It's like unless mm-hmm. you, unless you bought the token, you can't get into the ride, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. he was like, "No, we're not going to have any of that." Yeah, I, I used I, I've used this illustration before. I was telling my son if somebody was keeping mom from getting to me, you know, setting barricades and roadblocks and you know diverting traffic, and she hadn't seen me for a long, long time, you know. It's out of love for my bride that I will go overthrow those barricades so that she right. can make it home to me. Right. So that anger is, is sourced out of love. Right. So verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Uh, and then verse 4, He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Um, I, this was, this was interesting to me because, again, we've got some 
language connections being here, the the bruised as bruised reed. That's the same word that's used in verse four for dis- discouraged. The servant will not be discouraged. Mm-hmm. So he he's immune to this bruising. Um, and when it says he will not fail, well, that fail is actually the same word that's used for the smoking or flickering flax. Mm-hmm. So, and that's referring to flax. There is talking about what they make a wick out of for like an oil lamp. Um, and you look at the things like, okay, well, a bruised reed, that's good for nothing. You can't, you, the, what did you use, a, what did you use reeds for back then? Well, you'd make baskets out of them. You'd, you'd use them for things, right? You'd, you'd cut them and use them as, as the fibrous sort of plant. And if it was bruised, if it was, if it was broken down and crushed, it was useless. Um, same thing yeah. is true with the oil lamp, right? If your lamp is smoking, it's because it's run out of oil. And it's not giving you any light. That's what you want a lamp to do. So there's really only one of two things that you do with a lamp at that point. You either fill it and bring its light back or you quench it. You put it out. Mm -hmm. And he's saying here that his servant will not quench it. So in a way, it's like what we have to look at is, well, what does that mean? It means he's going to... He's going to restore the bruised reed. He's going to relight the smoking lamp. It's like he's going to come in and these things, which I believe are describing us, you know, mm-hmm. his people here, um, he's going to restore us. He's going to, to, to bring the light and life back into us. He's going to fix, you know, restore where we're the trampled down plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's great. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, I love those two metaphors because – you know the the reeds that you find, you know, like the cattails and everything else that are right on the edge of a swamp yeah. or some mm-hmm. kind of body of water. You know, you look at them, and like you said, if it's bruised or if it's bent over or whatever, it it becomes utterly worthless. And I love the fact that he's looking at them, or he's looking at, you know, the wicks that are just smoking but not producing any light, and the the patience and compassion of our God who looks at broken people who are not shining brightly, right. And he doesn't come and just be like, oh, I'm done with that one. Rip that one off. Break it off the rest of the way I'm done or you know, squeeze the fingers at the end of the wick and extinguish what little hope it has of reigniting. Um, no, I love the fact that he's patient like that because, man, if, if you say that that's never you, <laughs> you know. There are times where I feel just like a, a bruised reed. I can't, I can't stand up anymore. You know, I'm, I'm worn out or there's times where I don't feel like my – my faith is, you know, what Jesus talks about. You don't light a light and put it under a, a bushel. And sometimes I'm like, man, I don't feel like my light is even all that bright without the bushel. Um, but you have this – the tenderness of God, just the patience that's like, I'm not going to give up on you. Yeah. Um, We're seeing a picture here, you know, being – behold my servant, right? His spirit is upon him. He's delighted in him. What do we know about him? We know that he's – gentle and quiet we know that he's uh restoring and and so gentleness patience well I, right there i can mm-hmm. tell you he's not describing israel because <laughs> <laughs> gentle and patient would not be the word that i would use to describe the kings of israel and the and the nation of israel mm-hmm. but that all of that is bookended by him talking about justice right yes so he's talking about justice for the gentiles in verse one and at the end of verse three, he will bring justice. forth justice yeah. for truth. And you're kind of like when we think of justice, we're waiting for the steel hammer to you know, 
Yeah. But but in between his talk about justice, he's like the ones that are beat down and the ones that are almost out. I'm going to show patience to. And that's, you know, between the bookends of justice. And and what you mentioned earlier that I really, really like a lot is where it says bruised reed is the same that comes in verse four, that bruised word and the discouraged are the same, except it's basically saying, you may be discouraged, you may be damaged, but he will not be damaged. Right. You may go dim. Your wick might you know, be on the verge of going out, but when it says he will not fail, like it, he won't go dim. Like he will not be extinguished. But then it adds this curious phrase right after that, until he has established justice in the earth. And I can't speak definitively on this. You know, I don't. I don't want the presbytery to bring me up on charges. <laughs> I'll be taking careful notes and sending them a clip. But yeah, but notice what he says there. He will not be extinguished, and he won't be weakened until he has established justice. There's you know that word again, and the earth. Well, how in the world can he show tenderness as justice? To people who deserve to be destroyed. You know, notice that he will not fail nor be discouraged until. Well, that word until tends to communicate that there's some point at which he will. And I think, you know, at least it's interesting to me to ponder is that talking about the cross? Because the cross is ultimately when the servant of this song is going to establish justice. As he's hanging on the cross, he takes the steel hammer. He takes the ultimate wrath of God. He is going to be, as as Genesis 3 says, he's going to be bruised. He is going to, I mean, uh, the whole land goes dark mm-hmm. when he's on the cross at, at noon, right? So, like, it, literally, the sun <laughs> is for a moment is extinguished in some sense. Right. As he is establishing justice on the earth. And so, he takes the hammer. Why? So that he can protect the bruised reeds right. and the smoking flax, right. so that he can restore them, like you said. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wonderful that that's the servant we're looking at. It is a picture of Jesus, and I think it's it's really at, at least to me, and I think to you also, it's just really obvious that the act that Jesus would do ultimately, which is to to give his life on the cross, that that is the thing that brings this justice that we're talking about because it is through his death on the cross that we are made right with God. We have peace with God through that, through the body of Christ. We have, you know, all of the, everything that we have that is a spiritual blessing, that is a, our position, our standing with God, all of those things were made possible because he was bruised for us on the cross. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, by the way, that's when he crushed the head of the enemy. Of you yeah. know, it's like, and and this is great now because he remember in in the all through Isaiah and other prophets, he is identifying as God's servant Israel. Mm-hmm. And so when he takes this punishment as Israel, as the representative, single representative for the entire nation of all God's people. It's not like God made a mistake because he really does come from the line of David. He is he is swallowing up all of the wrath that's reserved for the people of God as their representative because he genuinely is of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just – it's amazing you know, how God condescends, becomes a person, endures a life of 
you know, utter misery just out of absolute mercy for those that are <laughs> inadequate mm-hmm. and struggling and weak and worn out. That's yeah. um, it's just awesome. And it, this is not just for Israel. You notice it says, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And then it says, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. And that's specifically talking about all the other nations. Uh-huh. So in Israel, it was kind of a colloquial way of saying, you know, because when you looked out at the Mediterranean, all the far off lands, Egypt and, and Greece and Turkey and Cyprus and all the nations were like coastlands. You know, they were on bodies of water. So this is talking about all the nations, right? So it's not just that he's establishing justice by fulfilling what Israel was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But now he's saying this benefit is going to go out to all the nations, yeah. Yeah. the farthest off nations. Yeah. So verses 5 through 7, I think, come as a, as a sort of a group here because God is now um, – he's going to be talking to his servant here. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you, talking to the servant, in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. And then verse 7 is to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. My mind immediately, when I read that, went to the when John the Baptist sent word, you know, John the Baptist is in prison, about Mm -hmm. to die. And he has that moment where even his faith, just a little bit, needs, you know, is shaking just a little bit. And he says to his, his disciples, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we have to look for, should we look for another? And, and that's what, what Jesus says is not to say, I'm the one. Jesus quotes this back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus is actually going to quote a mixture of different passages that come right. from Isaiah. So, for example, he'll quote Isaiah 61 where it says the good news is preached to the poor. He'll quote from Isaiah 35 where it talks about the, the mute and the deaf and, and the blind, which is also repeated here again. And what, what John would have wanted to hear, of course, he's in a prison right. in Machaerus, a place outside the promised land, and he's about to get his head chopped off. What he wants to hear is, <laughs> are you the Messiah who releases prisoners from prison? Because, hey, I'm, I'm in a prison. This would yeah. be kind of helpful. <laughs> <laughs> right about now, yep. <laughs> and Jesus in Matthew 11, he changes one part of those prophecies. Instead of saying he releases prisoners from prison, he says the dead are raised. Yeah, And that John didn't expect. But I imagine if his servants went back and said, man, he quoted everything back perfectly. But instead of prison, he talked about the dead being raised because in reality, that's the great prison of humanity. Yeah, it, it holds everything hostage. Everything you work for is ultimately for nothing if the grave wins. It swallows up all of your relationships. It holds your whole life in prison. And so how awesome <laughs> that it's not just, hey, John, you're going to get out and you're going to go on the other side of these bars, but you're still going to live a life that's ultimately going to be swallowed by the grave and everything is lost. No, Jesus says, you know what the prison was that I'm releasing humanity from? It's death itself. So you go back and tell him the dead are raised. How mm-hmm. awesome is that? Yeah. And once you, once you say the dead are raised, it, it doesn't really matter quite as much what happens, how this stint in prison ends, because when mm-hmm. the, you know, when the dead are raised, that's when we're going to live forever. 
Um, and you talk about that servant, you know, jump backing up to verse six. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the Lord saying this <laughs> to, to, to the nation of Israel. I have called you in righteousness. I mean, it's like, what, what righteousness? <laughs> you know, what righteousness? Yeah, God has held a hand. But then this, I love this line. He says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. That you is singular, by the way. Right. Um, I will give you person as a covenant to the people. So when you think of Jesus, this is God's covenant in the flesh. It makes me think of Jesus during the Last Supper when, when he's instituting communion and he says, you know, I give to you a new covenant, a covenant of my blood, a covenant for the forgiveness of sins. What a yeah. gift. Like yeah. Jesus doesn't just come as a person but as 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 the sealing demonstration of God's covenant in the flesh to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins for the sake of Jews and as a light to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Well, and I tell you, it's uh, matter of fact, all all four of those in verse six, you, your, you, and you, all of the, all four of those are singular. Mm-hmm. Um, when when he says, "Thus says the Lord God," in verse five, you're getting this a kind of behind the scenes conversation in heaven of the Father speaking to the Son. You know, it's not often in Scripture that you get to to have a behind the scenes, you know, look into conversations that happen within the Trinity. But this is a conversation that happens within the Trinity. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun. And then verse eight reads, "I am the Lord," and it's the it's the all caps version of Lord in our translation here. So we know that's God's covenant name. That's Yahweh. I am mm-hmm. Yahweh. That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Um, God communicating very clearly that he doesn't intend to share his glory with anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, when Jesus comes along, when you read, you know, books like Colossians and you hop in chapter one, you know, he'll say, you know, he's not going to share his glory with carved images and false. He's going to give his exact image. The image of the invisible God mm-hmm. will be given to Jesus. That's the claim of Colossians 1, and that's it's what it's saying here. My glory I'm not going to give to another. The people want to know what I'm like, what I look like. I'm going to become a man, and he will be my glory. It's John 1, right? Yeah. And, and you know, the word became flesh, and what is it? We beheld his glory. Um, it's it's very much <laughs> he is the fulfillment of all this, and it goes with uh, that's what when Christ was talking to Philip, Philip said to him just John fourteen eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? <laughs> Yeah, so all throughout the gospel, he's just taking all of these promises and he's 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 owning them himself. You know, yeah. he's taking the title of all this. And what's cool, you have the father saying to the son, "I will share my glory with no one else," right? But then after the New Testament, I love this line. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 when it's explaining, you know, the the gospel. It says, "He called you to this." through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean? Here you have God who's saying, I am going to share my glory 
with my son. And then you have the son through his gospel coming to do what? To share his glory with us, which is, you know, nothing we can produce. It's nothing we earn or deserve. It is purely by his kindness that he shares this very glory that we're reading about here with us. It's it's amazing. It's, It's awesome. Um, the other thing here, he says, nor my praise to carved images. That in, in, at the end of verse 41, God is basically, he challenges those, the, the false gods. He's like, you know, let your carved idols tell you history. Let them predict the future, you know, and of course they can't. Um, and so he's making that point that now in verse nine, behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. I mean, what sets God apart from the false gods and the, and the idols? Everything. But specifically <laughs> in this case is that God is willing to tell, you know, I, he's going to come out and tell you in advance what's going to happen. You know, what is the whole point of prophecy? The whole point of prophecy is to see it fulfilled, Right. And what we see here in verse 9, this is one of my very favorite uh, prophecies that is fulfilled in the New Testament, and it's like on the nose a little bit. But verse 9 in Isaiah, this chapter says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Well, one of my very favorite chapters in all of Scripture comes in Revelation 21, and it's when John is given a vision of what's to come on that day when when the Lord returns and we stand before him or when we're called to glory. It says that they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen to what he does. I love that this is the first action. It's not us doing anything. It's still God being tenderhearted. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Listen to this. For the old order of things has passed away. It's, it's, he's, he's calling out Isaiah 42, 9, saying it applies to him. He's the one who fulfills this. And then verse 5, he who was seated on the throne, guess who that is? It's the servant who, having been a servant, is now exalted to the right hand of God himself, who's seated on the throne. And what does he say? Behold, I make all things new. Yeah. And so when you go back to Isaiah and you hear Isaiah write, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare, it's looking forward to this day. He is going to make all things right. So uh, we finish up with verses 10 to 13. Traditionally, that would have been the end of the servant song. So most people will tell you that it's it's chapter 42, verses 1 to 9 Okay, um, is usually where people put it. Or one to four, right. but that it's so now most people would agree the servant song has has come right come to an end, and uh, and so we have and so we have arbitrarily tacked on <laughs> four extra verses. Uh, Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up His zeal. Like a man of war, he shall cry out, yes, shout aloud, he shall prevail against his enemies. It is, it's, it's the mirror image of the quiet, meek servant who comes and his voice is not heard in the streets. It's like, 
whatever's being <laughs> talked about here in verses 10 through 13 is the is the mirror image of that we're talking about exaltation we're talking mm-hmm. about people shouting praises everybody in the world coastlands and inhabitants it's like all the nations not just israel but all the nations shouting god's praise and then the lord is coming forth in like a man of war in zeal he'll prevail against his enemies um (laughs) you know (laughs) there's a day coming you know everybody's like oh yeah yeah you christians always talking about there's a day coming there is a day coming (laughs) <laughs> in which the Lord will return. And at that point, it's going to be too late. I mean, it, that, at that point, it's too late to say, oh, 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 can I still get that forgiveness deal? You know, that's that's it. That's the end. Yeah. Um, and, the, and this idea of justice, you know, the one who comes, who's making all things new, who shows gentleness to the, to the bruised reed and the smoking flax, like – the idea behind that, my, I remember having a conversation with my mom years ago, mm-hmm. and her question was, why doesn't God just forgive? You know, like, why doesn't he just forget about things? You know, and the idea is justice always requires payment when something goes wrong. Yeah. You know, and there's different ways that can happen. You know, you've probably heard the illustration of somebody wrecks into your car and you say, oh, don't worry about it. You don't, you don't have to pay. Well, Somebody's still paying. Guess who's paying? You are. Right. You know, by having right. a damaged car or by going and having it fixed, somebody has to pay when there's something wrong. And so the idea is every single sin, everything that has gone wrong, everything that where we have fault, all sin is going to be paid for on that day. All sin is going to be paid for. The question then becomes – Will you take the offer of mercy that comes with the promise that he has paid it all already? He has paid it all. He has taken the penalty. He has he has quenched justice on your behalf and allow God to pay for it to his delight, by the way. Yeah. Because he so desperately wants you. Or would you spurn that offer of mercy and say, I will do it on my own and there therefore leave yourself to stand before the judgment of God and have to pay the penalty of justice. You you don't want that. And yeah. so, you know, when when Isaiah 42 kind of lays out this servant song, you know, remember, everything is falling apart at, in the realm of Israel and Judah at this time. There's yeah. not a lot of good news. And here you have a servant song that comes in and says, but in the midst of this chaos, you have a God who is seeking after you, who's going to accomplish this for you, who's going to give you an eternity. Yeah, this life might be a brief misery, but it's a flash in the pan compared to eternity, and he is going to make all things new. He is going to gift it to his people. He's going to make all things right at great cost to himself. That should make us in any situation want to get up on the mountains and sing that song no matter what's happening around us. Yeah. But that's an offer um, that we want people, because we sing, because we rejoice when all things are crumbling around us, that's you know the most attractive draw to somebody who doesn't know the Lord is to look at somebody who's walking through all the same mess and all the same struggles, all the same anxieties and insecurities, and is singing in the middle of those. That's an incredible thing to invite people to. I mean, God is looking at Israel and saying, no, in the midst of your exile, in the midst of everything fall apart, sing. 
saying, let the world know that this world and all of its circumstances don't hold you hostage. You have freedom and joy no matter what's going on around you. And that's a message that you need to preach to yourself as believers. We need to preach it to ourselves every hour, and I fail at it daily. (laughs) (laughs) But But it's good to point one another's eyes to the fact that, you know, we've won. We've already won. This yeah. has already been accomplished. We're on the, you know, 700 years later, Jesus fulfills all of this stuff. Right. Which means we should be very different, very different. Um, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast and somebody was telling a story and I wished I could remember the name of the guy. But it was a, a Scottish uh, chaplain and he was in an internment camp. And, you know, the guards were pretty strict or whatever, but one of them managed to – and I don't even know if this is true, but the, <laughs> the the application is true. And so one of them snuck in a transistor radio or a, a radio and they found out that the allies had won the war. And it made no difference. It made absolutely no difference in the treatment that they received because the, the, their captors didn't know this, but they did. Um and all of a sudden, the captors realized that the people that were in this internment camp were suddenly joyful. They had a spring in their step. Everything changed, and you know, days later, the camp was liberated. But you know, he was writing this as a as an illustration that said, you know, nothing changed. Our circumstances didn't change, but we knew that salvation. We knew that liberty was coming, and therefore, everyone in that camp was joyful and singing and light in the middle of circumstances that didn't change in the moment. And, you know, to apply that to ourselves, we know the victory has been won. We know all these things will come to pass and all things will be made new. We should live like it. Yeah. Well, that's a good word. And uh, it's one that we're going to end on. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us today, folks, um, that it's been profitable for you. Uh, if you'd like to correspond with us, our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com, where you can also find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com forward slash outofwater. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and also in our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app. Sam and I will be back next week with another from our series from the book of Isaiah, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.